hasn't jumped, she hasn't ran, she hasn't danced, she hasn't stood upright, she hasn't really looked anyone in the eye. She's been hunched over for 18 long years. She's suffering chronic pain. Some of you know what that's like, to suffer chronic pain, to suffer chronic back pain. And that's how she's felt for 18 long years. And so Jesus is up, and he's teaching from the Word of God, and he looks up and he sees her. First thing, I, I just love that Jesus sees women, which in that culture was not a common thing. They were second-class citizens. That Jesus sees this woman who's suffering, who maybe people just kind of ignored her. Oh, there she is again with her pain. But Jesus, he sees her. And here's what's interesting is that this woman doesn't approach Jesus. We're going to see Jesus approaches her. She doesn't speak to Jesus, but Jesus speaks to her. What we've seen a lot in Luke's gospel is that people will press through the crowds or do whatever they can to get to Jesus to unleash his healing power in their life. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't say anything. And we don't really know why. Luke doesn't give us any clues. Maybe she just thought Jesus was busy preaching. or Maybe she just given up all hope. She just thought, you know what, this is the way it is. Nothing's going to change. Luke doesn't close in, but Jesus looks at her. Can you see it in your, in your mind's eye? Jesus, he focuses right in on her. And I think he's smiling, and he walks towards her. He gets off the stage where he's preaching, and he approaches this woman. He looks her right in the eye. And my guess is that she's a little uncomfortable. She's like, everyone's looking at me, and Jesus is coming towards me. What is, what is Jesus going to say? You know, maybe she's a little self-conscious, like, is Jesus going to rebuke me for not having enough faith and that's why I haven't been healed or, or what's going on here? But this seems like a godly woman, right? She's been suffering for 18 long years. But apparently she still believes in God. She's still there with God's people, gathering together, worshiping, praying, listening to teaching. Seems like a nice lady with a hard life. Some of you are like that. In fact, I would say, that God has blessed our church with a number of women who have gone through a hard life. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what's been done to you. And you can resonate, I think, with this woman who's been suffering for almost two decades. And Jesus approaches her. And what does he do? He lays hands on her. He touches her. Now, this would be pretty unusual in this culture for a man to touch a woman. But there's no sin here, just affection. Jesus doesn't have to touch her either. We know he, he's been able to heal people from a distance. He can heal people just saying a word. But he reaches out and he puts his hand on her. Why does he do that? Because Jesus wanted to show her that he loved her and he identified with her physical suffering and pain. Not only does Jesus see her, but he... He puts a hand on her shoulder. He embraces her to say, I see your pain. I see how you've been suffering. And I love you, and I'm here, and I see you. And he looks her in the eye, and he says, you are healed. And he commands the unclean spirit to go away from her. What I think is really interesting is that time after time after time in the book of Luke, we see that Jesus heals people one at a time. Why did Jesus do that? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. That Jesus healed people one at a time 
Because God cares about individual people. Jesus healed people one at a time because God cares for individual people. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and he cares about the whole world, and he cares about our town and our country and our church. But he doesn't just generally care for people. God cares for individual people. And whatever baggage you're carrying this morning, whatever pain that you are carrying, whatever suffering you have, Jesus sees that. He sees you as an individual person. Not just a group of people. Not just part of the world that God loves. But Jesus sees you as an individual. And he loves you. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And by the way, this is why at Mosaic we pray for the sick. If you're sick, we want you to come forward at the end of the service, and we're going to lay hands on you, and we're going to pray for you. We love to pray for sick people. We don't believe that God has to heal, but we believe that God can heal. We don't believe that just because we pray that God has to do what we ask him to do, but we believe that he can heal. He has the power to heal, and we trust him in his wisdom and in his timing. But here's what James Jesus' little brother tells the early church in James 5, verse 13 through 16. He tells the early church, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing, song, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so Jesus embraces this woman and he heals her. And now her whole life is changed. This is wonderful. This is our Jesus. This, isn't this fantastic? And what Jesus, so what does this woman do now in response to being healed by Jesus? Verse 13, he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. Immediately she's made straight and she glorifies God. And this is how I kind of picture it happening. Is she's like, hey, bring the band back out. Like, I got to sing. I got to jump. It's been 18 years since I've really been able to worship hard with all my heart. And I'm healed now and I need a good groove. So come on, band, get it going. You know, I picture like, you know, Jimmy Fallon, he's got the band going behind him. He's like, come on, give me a groove. That's what this woman's like. She's like, I want to dance. I want to sing. I want to glorify God. Her response to being healed by Jesus is to glorify God and give thanks to him. And what Jesus does to this poor woman by healing her, by unleashing her from the chains of the evil one, Jesus is longing to do for the whole nation of Israel and for the rest of the world. See, the story of Israel is that the evil one, Satan, has held the nation in his power for many years. And Jesus comes sharing his kingdom message, and it's the one thing that can free Israel. See, unless the kingdom message of Jesus heals Israel, there's no hope. It's the same thing that Jesus is longing to do in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our families, and all those around us who are held in captivity by our enemy, Satan. See, the message of Jesus is that when the kingdom of God comes, people are freed from bondage, hurting people get healed, and lives are changed forever. See, the message of Jesus is not just about going to heaven when you die. The kingdom of God is about bringing hope and healing and new life right here, right now. Amen? 
The kingdom of God is about changed lives here on earth. Jesus' mission is to bring heaven crashing into earth and establish the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is not just about who is in and who is out after we die. Now, this would be a fantastic story if it ended right here. Jesus preaches, the woman gets healed, everyone celebrates, yeah, let's go home. But this next word is a little troubling. But, verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, the pastor, (laughs) indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord, Jesus, answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to, to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus shows up. He does something wonderful. He heals this woman. And this woman has been freed from the bondage to Satan. She's really happy, and the religious people are really critical. Why? Well, it's a debate over the law. See, the law in and of itself is going to give you trouble unless you know who God is. See, Jesus tells us that God is a loving Father. So when your loving Father tells you to do something or not to do something, you have to start from the place of knowing that He loves you and He's trying to protect you. He's not trying to rob you of joy and freedom and expression. He's trying to save you from harm and suffering and death. I'm going to give you an analogy here. Uh, we live on a, a relatively busy street, Rice Lake Road, and my kids love to play outside. And our backyard has a fence around it, which is really nice, because they can tell the kids, hey, go outside, play in the backyard, have fun, just play, you know, just enjoy outside and being outside. But don't jump over the fence, you know, don't leave this area, because I don't want you to hit by a car. Explore the whole yard, but just don't leave kind of these boundaries. That's a good dad. That's what, that's what God tells us. See, it looks like a barrier and a restriction to my kids, but it's actually life-giving. It's life-preserving. And see, God's laws are like that fence, just trying to keep God's kids from running out into the street and getting hurt by Satan and sin. And God would tell us, hey, you have the whole yard to play in. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He'll direct, he'll lead, he'll guide you. Hey, kids, enjoy all your freedom. Explore the whole yard. Just please don't hop the fence. I don't want you to get hurt. That's a good dad. Our God is a good dad who loves his kids. See, but sadly what happens all too often is that religious people then come along and say, hey, all right, so there's this fence God doesn't want us to go over. That's good. But I'm a little worried that people are going to hop the fence. It's not big enough. So let's put up a bigger fence a little further in with higher walls around it just to make sure that people don't get in trouble. And then some even more religious people come along, and and they, no, this is still too much freedom. Let's build even higher walls. And and really to make sure that people don't get over these walls and get into trouble. And what happens is that instead of of freedom and, and a backyard to play in, instead you have a prison yard. And that's why often kids from the most fundamentalist religious homes rebel the most. Is because religious people have been erecting these walls higher and higher and higher and moving the boundaries in from where God established them. See, eventually those kids are going to hop those prison walls and then get run over by sin and Satan and death. 
So God gave the Jewish people the Sabbath as a gift, and it's a gift he continues to give us today. God tells us to take one day off each week to rest, to worship, to play, to gather with God's people, and to take a break. Taking a Sabbath is an act of faith that even while you have a day off, God is still at work. And hey, this is hard for me. I hate taking a day off, just to be honest. It's hard. But it's an act of faith that God is continuing to work even while we are not working. And it's a gift for us. You don't make it this kind of religious thing. But to say, you know what, I'm going to trust God. That even when I'm taking some time off to rest, to play, to just be with God's people, that he's still at work. He's still in control. But see, the religious people in Jesus' day, they started making rules about the rules and rules about the rules about the rules. And next thing you know, the Sabbath isn't a yard to play in. It's a prison you can't escape. And they're arguing with Jesus about the law in general and about the Sabbath in particular. That's the issue here. Second thing we see this, you write this down, that Jesus, we're going to see, he's both tough and tender. Let me ask you this. With, with the woman who is suffering and in bondage, with, was Jesus tough or tender? It's not, not a trick question. Was he tough or tender? Yeah. You can't get much more tender picture than Jesus in front of everyone seeing this woman walking down, embracing her, healing her, setting her free from the bondage that she's been in for 18 years. That's about as tender as it gets. But with the religious leader, the pastor of this small church, was Jesus tough or tender? He's tough, right? He calls him a hypocrite in front of everyone. Like, that is not, that's, that's harsh, man. You need to know that Jesus is both tender and tough. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we need to be both tender and tough. We need to be tender towards those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who are needy. But sometimes we have to be tough towards those who are religious, haughty, proud, those who judge others unnecessarily, those who bully people around. If you're only just tender, if you're only just tough, you're only going to be right about half the time. So you can't be nice to all the bullies, and you shouldn't be mean to the victims. We have to have discernment. See, the kingdom of God brings both compassion and justice. The kingdom of God brings with it both compassion and justice. It's to embrace those who are suffering, those who are hurting, and saying, come, Jesus welcomes you, we welcome you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what's been done to you. You are welcome here. Come, be healed by Jesus. But also to stand up to racism, to stand up to corruption, to stand up to unjust practices when people are bullies, when people are um, uh, hypocrites, to say, hey, this is not right. We need to stand for justice and promote justice, we also need to promote compassion. We need to have the wisdom of Jesus to know when we need to be tender, when we need to be tough. At this time in Jesus' day, there's an argument going around among the Pharisees trying to discredit Jesus as the promised Messiah. And basically the argument was this. All right, when the Messiah comes, we're going to see these huge signs and their people have been held in slavery to the Roman Empire, the superpower of their day. And they believe that when Messiah comes, he's going to free us from the shackles of empire. And that when Messiah comes, there's going to be these great, huge uh, miracles that are going to set us free and reestablish the kingdom of David. So they're expecting this kind of revolt that would overthrow Rome. They're expecting this big military victory of saying, all right, we're going to overthrow Rome. And instead, what they got was Jesus healing a little old woman in a small church. <laughs> and they're saying, 
Jesus can't be the Messiah. Yeah, he's doing some neat stuff, but what are those little small things matter? They, they don't have any consequence. Here's how Jesus responds to them in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. What is Jesus talking about with seeds and birds and bread? Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is like a tiny seed that produces a huge tree. One action in one synagogue, one healing in one little church. Does that really matter? One marriage healed out of thousands in the Twin Cities that are hurting and are in danger of breaking up. Does that really matter? What can that achieve? See, but when Jesus sows the kingdom, the seed of the kingdom of God, nobody knows what's going to result. One healing of one woman. But Jesus is telling us that every time you break the satanic chains that have tied people up, another victory is won, which will go on to have repercussions. They're going to spread like ripples in the water from a stone being thrown into a lake. This, says Jesus, is the way of the kingdom of God. A woman bound by Satan has just been loosed from her chains. Not a major earth-shattering event, but in that single act is the beginning of the reign of God in the world and the beginning of the end of Satan's destructive power. Jesus is telling us, don't be discouraged by what seems to be lack of success. God is at work. And just as a seed or some yeast carry with it their features within them, don't be depressed by the opposition or the immensity of the task. Think of the mustard seed and the leaven and be hopeful for when we have participated in small acts that will affect lives far beyond this time and this place. I want to ask you this morning, where are you in this story? Are you the hurting woman? Your life is hard. You know you're not perfect, but you still love God. You're here in church this morning. You believe in Jesus, but you've experienced a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. Maybe physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, psychological pain, or financial pain. Some of you, it's just been years and years of hard days, and you're suffering and you're hurting. Maybe you came this morning and you're like, I don't even want to talk to Jesus about it anymore, because I gave up hope a long time ago. I want you to remember it's Jesus who reaches out and approaches this woman. It's Jesus who literally has sent the Holy Spirit to lay a hand on you this morning. I believe God wants me to tell you that he is here to meet with you. He sends the Holy Spirit to embrace you, to put a hand on you, to touch you, to comfort you. And for some of you, yes, to even heal you. Remember this woman and God's compassion and affection for her. Jesus has the same compassion and affection for you. And even though perhaps you're not pursuing him in your area of suffering, he's pursuing you. He knows, he pays attention, he cares. He's going to meet with you, he loves you. And here's what I've learned, is that time doesn't heal all wounds. That Jesus heals all wounds. Because if we just let time go by, our hurt, our pain, 
the things that have happened to us in our past, it'll just fester. It won't heal. Time doesn't heal all wounds. But Jesus does. Jesus can heal whatever it is you've gone through, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, whatever it is. Or maybe, maybe you're the religious critic. Who's the loser in this story? The pastor, right? Like, people would say, oh, I think the Bible's made up. No, see, the Bible's written by like, guys like me, like pastors. And see, if we just made it up, we would sanitize this story, right? Like, if I'm writing this story, I'd be like, Jesus came to town, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, have the pulpit. And that's all that happened. That's all that happened that day, right? I'm not going to write down that Jesus called me a, a heretic. Like, no way, man, or hypocrites. That's how I would have written the story. I wouldn't talk about my, my sin and my faults and my flaws. But maybe this morning God's revealed to you that you have the heart of a critic saying, hey, this isn't the time and place for that. Maybe you have raised up your own walls, the boundaries of what's acceptable, what's not. Maybe you just kind of have a critical spirit about what Jesus should or shouldn't do or what church should or shouldn't be like. Maybe Jesus wants to free you from that spirit of criticism. And who's the last group in this story? The people in the church and the synagogue who watched what would happen. And how did they respond? Verse 17. All the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. They rejoiced by the things that were done by Jesus. See, we have a choice. How are we going to respond to what Jesus is doing in our midst? Let's be a people that rejoices in all the glorious things that Jesus is doing. Let's join Jesus on his road trip. Let's bring the kingdom of God with us and bring heaven's reign to our neighborhoods and the places where we work. The local church is the activity of God here on earth. The local church is the activity of God here on earth. Jesus invites us to participate with him, to live on mission with him. To point people to Jesus, to point people to the one who heals, who can restore, who can redeem. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. We're going to spend a couple minutes responding to who God is before we close our service. And I want you to think, am I like this woman? Something, maybe it's spiritual, something has been holding you in bondage for a long time. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe it's pain that your father or your mother caused you. Maybe it's wounds from your first marriage. What are those wounds that you've just thought time will heal, but the reality is that Jesus needs to heal those wounds? I want you to come to Jesus. Trust that he can heal. Maybe you're like this religious critic, and you found yourself just with a spirit of criticism, and you need Jesus to confront you with his bold truth and to say, you know what, Jesus, I've had this unhealthy spirit, and I've been looking down on those who just need your touch. Maybe you want to repent and ask for forgiveness. James tells us that for those of us who are sick to come forward and receive prayer, he also says to confess your sins one to another. 
this woman was held bound by a spirit, by an evil spirit. I believe sometimes our physical pain, our physical suffering are caused because of sin in our life, uh, because of spiritual uh, effects. I, I've known people who have had, their bodies have just been wrecked because of secret sin, of secret pornography addictions or other things. And their shame and their guilt took a physical toll on their body. And they didn't begin to experience healing until they're able to confess that to someone and say, I need some help. Or maybe you're just one of the bystanders like this morning. How do they respond? They just glorified God. As we sing this song, I'm going to be down front with Justin and Rihanna, and we're going to have a little bit of oil. It's nothing magical, mystical, but James tells us to come forward, have someone lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, just put a little drop on your forehead, and to pray for you. And if you want healing, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, we want to pray for you to be healed. Maybe you need to come forward and confess some sin. Maybe during this song, you just need to get right with God and say, God, here's some secret sins in my life, or here's some critical attitude I had that I didn't even realize I had. I need to confess this to you. I need to have the heart and the eyes of Jesus to see people who are suffering and see them in need of healing instead of looking down on them. Or maybe just like the people looking there, this morning, God just wants you just to glorify God. This song, you need to just get more free in your worship than maybe you have been. Worship is simply responding to the greatness and the glory of God. In the same way that whether we cheer for the Vikings or the Packers or the Seahawks, when we score a touchdown, how do we respond? Man, we jump up, our hands go up because we're excited. We need to be excited about what God is doing. God heals, God redeems, God offers salvation, which is amazing. And our response to that should just be, God, you are awesome. I'm going to pray. I'm going to come down. I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Meet with God in your seats. Lift your hands in praise to who he is. However you feel God wants you to respond this morning to his word that we read today. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for Luke, who carefully investigated all these claims that he wrote down these truths of what Jesus did, what Jesus said, so that here, 2,000 years later, we could learn. God, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would be active and working. God, I pray for people who have been held in bondage, in suffering, in pain for years, would find healing this morning. God, I pray that we would confess our sins to you, confess our sins to others, so that, God, we could move forward, we could bring our sin out of darkness into light so that it could lose power over us. God, I pray that we would just respond by glorifying you, saying, God, you are good. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you, God, for leading me day by day. God, we want to meet with you. We thank you that you are here, ready and willing to meet with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and I'll be available for prayer.